The word of God from Colossians 3, 1 through 17. The life of the new man. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. To, to be with you again this morning and, and to have the privilege of opening up, exploring God's word with you on this last day of the year. What an interesting day of the year this is. I mean, a day that brings with it such a sense of reflection, where many of us are looking over the past year and, and identifying some things that went well, some things that maybe didn't go so well, maybe some things that we would change or do differently. And sometimes we do that individually or we do that together as a family. Do any of y'all do that on an annual basis? Yeah? Well, in the process, many of us are, are now identifying specific areas in our lives that would either like to change or maybe even need to change. And in response, many of us are making clearly defined resolutions or promises to ourselves to stop doing or start doing certain things or to do things a little bit differently this year. Promises that we often punctuate with the motivating mantra, out with the old, in with the new. For some, these resolutions are just for fun or just wanting to try something new, like those listed in a, a recent article, such as read more, plant a garden, 
talk to someone new, resolve to travel, or learn a new hobby. For others of us, our resolutions are a little bit more pragmatic and, and aimed at making healthy life changes, like improving our physical, our financial, or our, our mental health, or pursuing a more balanced life. And for some of us, the impetus behind those resolutions may be notably weighty or even dire, where we recognize the presence of particularly harmful habits or destructive patterns in our lives that absolutely need to go and absolutely need to be replaced by healthy, life-giving ones. But, as we all know, the more weighty or fundamental these life changes are, the more difficult they can be to make. For instance, many years ago during a, a family reunion, I recall some relatives speaking fondly, but also uh, a bit incredulously about a long since deceased aunt, whom they described as a, a real character. Y'all have some real characters in your family? Well, soon to come find out, this aunt definitely was a real character. She had been a chain smoker throughout her life and consequently had so damaged her lungs that she then needed an oxygen mask simply to breathe. And even though she was painfully aware that cigarette smoke was absolutely decimating her body and that the oxygen that she had received was actually giving her a new lease on life, she just wouldn't stop smoking. Instead, she would regularly remove that, that oxygen mask and, and literally set that aside just long enough to fire up a cigarette and take a few hurried puffs, only to uh, abruptly snuff it out and then reach again gasping for her oxygen mask. And on and on that daily destructive, self-destructive pattern went. Well, I think we'd all agree that that's pretty absurd. That's absolutely absurd. And yet, as we see in today's text, we do something similar. But in a, a much more grave, gravely more profound and even more absurd way, in today's reading, we just heard Matt read that if we have placed our faith in Christ, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have been spiritually engrafted into Christ's body. And having been spiritually engrafted into Christ, we are now in Christ. And now being in Christ, we are also personally identified with him and with all aspects of his humanity, his life experiences, and all his benefits. More specifically, Paul stresses here that we have died, we have been buried, and we have been raised to newness of life in Christ. And so in him, we have, uh, we're not only no longer guilty of our sin, but also we are no longer slaves to our sin, and we are no longer slaves to the self-destructive patterns of our, our worldly passions. 
And yet, and yet, even though we have a new identity, nature, and life in Christ, even though he has breathed new life into us and now empowers us to live in light of our new identity and nature in him, like my chain-smoking aunt, we continually to set the life-giving things of him and our new life in him aside. We set them aside in order to intentionally return to and hail deeply of the self and other destructive habits of our own sinful nature. And that, as we acknowledged earlier, is absolutely absurd. And profoundly more so than my, my relative setting aside her life-giving oxygen in order to drag deeply on life-killing cigarettes. That said, it is here. It's here in the text. It's here in the context of our lives and often in the context and the motivations and aims of our New Year's resolutions that we recognize that we all struggle. We all struggle to keep our sights on Christ Jesus and to live and to grow in him in accord with our new identity and life in him. But, good news. The good news this morning is that in this passage, Paul is going to hit this struggle, our daily struggle, head on. And in the process, we'll receive the life-giving, life-changing truth that because we are in Christ, because we are now in Christ, we now, by his presence and power within us, have true and sure hope. We have true and sure hope of living in light of our new identity and life in him today. A newness that includes increasing growth in Christ's likeness and victory over our brokenness and sin. Even over the often daunting, the often daunting self and other destructive patterns of our old nature. Now these are all weighty and fundamental life changes that Christ is indeed sovereignly bringing about in us. Life changes that truly, ultimately, he has already accomplished on our behalf through his death and resurrection. But at the same time, it's a work in which he calls us to actively participate with him today by his presence and power within us. And as we'll soon see, we do that by resolvedly putting off the old self and putting on the new self in Christ Jesus. You'll find today's passage, Colossians 3, 1 through 17, I believe it's page 1044. Did I get an amen? Yes? Thank you. Got a nodding head. Uh, 1044 of your pew Bible. There you're going to see this passage broken up into three paragraphs, and we're going to explore it in the same way. Namely, from verses 1 through 4, we're going to talk about our new identity and life in Christ. Then we'll move to verses 5 through 11, where we're going to talk about putting off the old self in Christ. And then lastly, verses 12 through 17, we'll explore putting on the new self in Christ. So, beginning in part 1, our new identity and life in Christ. We see Paul here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, doing some truly amazing things. First of all, 
in just four short verses, he concisely summarizes the full breadth of the Christ-centered, life-foundational, life-pivotal truths presented in chapters 1 through 2. Second, he then builds on that foundation to properly reorient our focus, our thoughts, and our heart attitudes by artfully depicting the alluring beauty of Christ. The alluring beauty of Christ, the things of him, and the alluring beauty of our life in him. And then, third, in the process, he effectively positions us to heartfully receive, to embrace, and to live out that beauty, which is ours in Christ today, and which will be fully realized when he returns. So, let's reread verses 1 through 4 together, and, and let me show you what I mean. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, now here, because Paul is actually writing to believers, we could read this as, since you have been raised with Christ. So, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, Paul's main emphasis throughout this letter, and notably in chapters 1 and 2, is the foundational truth about believers' union with Christ. The truth that believers have been spiritually grafted into Christ's body and so are now in Christ. That's a term you're going to see reign throughout the whole book, in Christ. And consequently, all believers, um, all the benefits that believers receive in the Lord are due to our being in Christ and being identified with him in all aspects of his life including, as those summarized here by Paul, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his future return. In the process. In the process, Paul helps us to better recognize where we are in the story. And that perspective is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential not only to better understanding the profound truths of this passage, but also to feeling that powerful drawing force, the powerful drawing of force of the alluring beauty of Christ and of our new life in him. In this passage, we see that because believers are now identified with Christ in all aspects of his life, we now live in the period between his two comings. And so also amid the challenging tension of the already's and not yet's in Christ. With Christ's first coming, he died and, and was resurrected in order to pay for the sins of those who have placed their faith in him. And so when we place our faith in him as our Savior and Lord, we are spiritually engrafted into his body and receive all the benefits of Christ. We receive all the benefits of our new identity and life in him. But we are not yet made sinless and perfect at that point in time. No, instead, because believers are in Christ, Christ, Christ's sinless righteousness 
is then just imputed to us, or you can think of it as being credited to our account, so that when the Father looks at us, he sees the purity of Christ because we are in Christ. However, when Christ returns, he will complete that work, and he will fully remake us in the beautiful, perfect image of who he is. In the meantime, during this period in between his two comings that you see on the chart, the Lord is in the process of continuously, gradually remaking us in his image. That is a work that he is sovereignly bringing about, but at the same time, it's a process in which he calls us to actively participate with him. And therein lies the tension. Because in Christ, we have indeed died to our guilt and our, and, uh, of sin and its dominion over us. And we have indeed been raised with power in Christ to now live according to our new identity and life in him. However, because we are not yet made perfect, because we are not yet perfect, we still battle against the vestiges of our old nature. Recognizing this, Paul encourages us to remain focused on and to live in light of the heavenly dimension of our, our new identity and life in Christ, our new present heavenly dimension of our identity, and in light of the glorious beauty of that life that is now ours in him. Therefore, getting back to the text, Paul writes, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Here Paul exhorts us to orient our hearts and our minds to God and, and to the things of God, the ways of God, and, and to align our wills with God's will. Because growing in Christ's image includes having the mind of Christ. And we know that the mind of Christ was in perfect alignment with the Father's will. So as we are made in Christ's image, we have the mind of Christ and our wills get aligned with the Lord's. In her book, Sacred Rhythms, Ruth Haley Barton describes this as a state of wide openness to God in which I am under, uh, which I am free from undue attachment to any particular outcome. I am capable of relinquishing what might keep me from choosing for love. Now that's not choosing for love of self, but losing love of God and others, right? Other-oriented love. I've gotten to a place where I want God and his will more than anything, more than ego gratification, more than looking good in the eyes of others, more than personal ownership or comfort or advantage. I want God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Barton then puts forth Mary, the mother of Jesus, as one of the most compelling examples of other given overness to the will of God. Despite the possibility of being ostracized by her community, judged harshly by those who didn't understand the will of God for her life, rejected by her husband-to-be, enduring inconvenience and much pain, her response to the angel who announced God's will for, for her life was, here am I, the servant of the Lord, 
Let it be with me according to your word. It's just a beautiful example. But at the same time, we know that arriving at that point is no small endeavor. In fact, as in any heart-changing work, that's a God-sized task. And so it requires us to continually pray to be more like Christ, to continually have the mind of Christ, to die to our selfish, uh, our own selfish pursuits, um, our own selfish-oriented will, and live according to the Father's will. And his will is often revealed to us through prayerfully assessing which path is God and other-oriented versus which path is self-oriented. Getting back to our text, with that aim to uh, align our hearts, our minds, and our will with God, Paul recognizes our ongoing daily temptation to set the eternal, glorious things of heaven aside in order to set our minds on and to seek the fleeting and glorious things of this world. I'm guessing that we have all felt that struggle. I know I have. And maybe even have felt the absurdity of our worldly pursuits. Because we all know that we're, if you're a believer, you are in Christ. And yet we struggle so badly with the old self. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around to drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In light of our very world, very real worldly temptations, Paul helps us. He helps us to stay focused on Christ and the things of him by reassuring us in verse 3 that our lives are actually hidden right now in Christ. That means that our lives are securely hidden in the most safe place possible in Christ himself. And that our present heavenly reality, like, like the, the oxygen that fills our lungs, is very real, though hidden from our sight. And it also reveals to us the absolutely mind-blowing truth that because believers are now in Christ, we are also now, in a spiritual sense, seated with the ascended Christ right now in the heavenly realm. We're seated right now with the ascended Christ in the heavenly realm. And in verse 4, Paul completes that beautiful picture by directing our eyes to the future culmination of our present heavenly reality. He writes, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In other words, we will be made perfect, and we will, we will shine with the beauty of his purity and glory. Let that sink in for a minute. If you are in Christ Jesus, then right now, spiritually speaking, you are seated with the ascended Christ in the heavenly realm. That's mind-boggling, but it's true because we're in Christ. And also, when Christ returns, you will, I will, you will be finally made perfectly in his image. 
And, and from that point on, from that point on, we will no longer struggle with sin and the vestiges of our old nature. Amen? That is our present heavenly reality and sure glorious future. And, and that truth gives great clarity and also weight to the absolute absurdity of your and my continually returning to and indulging in the worldly self other and other destructive passions of our old nature. Our own versions of, of setting aside our life-giving oxygen in order to breathe deeply, to drag deeply on the self-destructive things of this world or dismissing a glorious holiday at sea in order to make mud pies in the slum. So, it's in light of our present standing in Christ and our future sinless uh, perfection in him that Paul then exhorts us to, in verse 5, put to death, therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. If you are in Christ, then we now can, you can, I can, put to death the things that in us that are not of Christ. We know that's not easy, but we can now do this because, first of all, Christ has already accomplished that for us in our stead, ultimately, as we noted before, but also he is powerfully at work in and through us. But, practically speaking, what does that look like in daily life? Have you ever battled weeds in your lawn? In the past, when, uh, when I came across a, a weed while mowing, I'd be tempted to ignore it or, or overlook it or, or even tolerate it. I'd rationalize to myself, you know, it's just one dandelion on the fringe or just one clump of, of crabgrass isn't so bad. I mean, after all, it looks like grass and it even has grass in its name. So on I would go. What do you ha suppose happened over time? Yeah, the weeds got a foothold. The weeds got a foothold and they spread. And they spread quickly. And they started to kill my lawn. I then realized that I needed to embrace a zero tolerance attitude toward weeds. The game was on, the battle was on. Zero tolerance. Could you put up that next slide for me? Now, I admit that mowing with a jug of weed killer strapped to the hip like a gunslinger looks a little odd, but I'm going to tell you it works. Whenever I come across a, a, a weed in my path, I, I take a moment. I take a moment to stop and to recognize the weed for what it is and then spray it, kill it, put it to death. In doing so, I, I don't give the weeds a chance to get a foothold. And consequently, over time, my lawn, while it's certainly not weed-free, is a whole lot healthier. I think, uh, I think our, our battle against sin 
and, and our role in, in walking and growing in Christ's likeness is like that. That is, we need to lean into life with a zero-tolerance attitude for sin, towards sin. And so whenever we see sin popping up, springing up to life in our hearts and our minds along the way, we must not ignore it. We must not rationalize a way to tolerate it in the lawn of our lives. No, we must stop for a minute. We must stop and name it for what it is and then kill it. If we don't, we'll give it a foothold in our lives. And it will spread. And it will spread quickly. And it will cause damage in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Here, our, our weapons are, are not a, a, a good herbicide at the ready. Now, rather, in this case, our spiritual weapons for this spiritual battle are having the power of prayer and God's word at the ready. It means stopping to say a brief prayer and asking forgiveness if we've allowed that temptation, if we've allowed it to take root in our hearts and cause us to sin. We need to confess that first, first and foremost. And then we need to ask for strength. Because again, this is not a bootstrapping thing, right? And we play a role, but it's only by the power of Christ in us and through us that we're able to do this. So we pray for the strength to put that temptation and sin to death in us and then to turn from that, to turn from that and not let it take root in us. I found, um, Psalm, can you get up the next slide? Thank you. I found um, uh, that the prayer found in uh, Psalm 119, 133 is really particularly helpful here. And if, if you find it helpful, please, please note it as, as for yourself. But, it's a prayer that captures both God's sovereignty and my human responsibility and role in the process of walking with Christ and growing in his likeness. Here the psalmist prays. This is actually a prayer. Keep steady my steps. My steps. You keep steady my steps. I'm walking according to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. Don't let it get control. It doesn't have control. Don't let it get control. Again, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Then after praying, we are to, by this presence and, and power of Christ that's in us, to turn away from that temptation and sin and to keep moving forward. We keep walking forward, trusting God to do what only he can do in his heart-shaping work in and through us. Now, that's certainly not a perfect analogy, I know that, um, because we don't like weeds, and it's really easy to remove them from our lives. The problem is, is that sin is actually still very attractive. It's still very attractive to the vestiges of our old nature. And because that tr that's true, we can have, be half-hearted about removing sin and temptations from our lives, and consequently, we seem to battle the same weeds, the same sins over and over again to the point that it feels like, you know, we're really not making much progress here. But good news, as we turn to verses 9 through 10, we find the encouraging news that real progress is indeed being made. It's indeed being made in us that our new self is indeed being gradually and continuously remade in Christ's image. Verses 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is, underlined, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. The Lord is surely, albeit gradually, at work in us. And that is hugely encouraging. Be encouraged, because he is at work. He promises, and he will fulfill his promises. But here we not only find encouragement, but we also find the second way in which we are to live, to walk and live in light of our new identity and life in Christ, and to actively participate with our Lord in his work to remake us in his image. And that second way is to put on the new self. Beginning at verse 12, Paul writes, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against you, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here it's important to recognize that, that putting off the old self and, and putting on the new self in Christ are inseparable. They're inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. The reason for that is that it's rooted in Christ's two central acts to save us, namely his death on the cross and his resurrection to life. For indeed, if Christ has not been raised, then we still remain dead in our sins. So both of those things together, his death and resurrection, are central to our salvation. So in the same way, in today's passage, Paul first reminds us of those two separable foundational, inseparable foundational truths, and then he builds on those to exhort us to live out the two inseparable responses to our new life in Christ. And those two inseparable responses are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you and to put on the new self in Christ. Those two responses are, are so inseparable and so central to our life in Christ that a former professor of mine, Jimmy Agan, referred to that as the heartbeat of the Christian life. If you think about a heartbeat, you, you never just hear a, a bump, right? It's always a bump, bump. There, you just hear a bump, there's a problem. Right? There's a bump, bump. One follows the other. Well, that's the same way, Jimmy Aiken's saying, that's the same way in the Christian life. You, you both die to one aspect of your old nature, and then you live to the opposite of that characteristic in Christ. Bump, bump. You don't just die, you die and live. So, before we close, let me, uh, let me actually use this chart on the screen. Um, I want to give you uh, a few examples. I want to give you some uh, 
just quick illustrations of, of what that joint process of putting, on the old, putting off the old self and putting on the new looks like in the context of, of everyday life. Now, when temptation or, or sin pops up in our lives, you know, we've all experienced, the, the Holy Spirit raises a red flag, right? I mean, we, we see the, the warning lights on our dashboard. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Check something out here. This is, this, something's amiss. And, and at that point, we have a very real choice to make. We have a very real choice to make. We can hold on to our anger or our bitterness or our passions, or by Christ's very real power within us, we can let go of that. And we can die to those and then embrace and live in our new nature in Christ. Now, we all experience this every day, throughout every day. And we know that dying to our old nature is not easy. It's not easy because we love to give full vent to our anger. We, we, it feels good to hold on to and stew in our bitterness and embrace our old broken passions. Now, that's true of all of us. But good news is that the good news is that what's also true is that believers, um, we now have our new identities bound up in Christ, and, and then the life-saving aspects of His nature. So, some examples of what that can look like. Um, uh, I'll have to go from memory. So. At the top, you see love, right? Because love really drives all of that. Now, if, if I have a prevailing love of myself, it's going to drive my actions. And it's going to drive my actions according to my old nature. Otherwise, conversely, if I have a love, prevailing love of God and others, that's going to cause me to act accordingly, according to my new nature. That's, that's Christ's nature, right? God and other-oriented. So we're going to act accordingly. So you see both sides here. You, you see the cross and the death and the resurrection and life. And so as we're going around the course of each day, when we see an aspect of our old nature pop up on the left side, then that's a red flag. And we stop. And, and we pray. If, we, if we've allowed that temptation to cause us to sin, we say, Lord, please forgive us. Help me to die. Help me to, to, to die to my pride. My goodness, Lord, please help me to die to my pride. And at the same time, help me to live according to your humility. Boom, boom. You see how that works. So what I would encourage you to do is, as you're reflecting about this past year, and you're thinking about, um, okay, Lord, take a look at my heart. Turn, turn, open up your heart and let the Lord take that light and shine it on your heart. Say, Lord, what, what? Oh, we Everything needs to be changed, re remade in, in Christ's image. But what are those things that you want to focus on right now? Am I really struggling with pride right now? Am I really struggling with anger right now? Then identify those things and, and actually set them as goals. Set them as part of your resolutions, your New Year's goals. Lord, please help me to die to my pride. Please help me to die to my anger. And then also specifically do the work of looking into Scripture and find passages. Get your weapon ready. Have it at the ready, right? You've got prayer at the ready. Get your passage at the ready. What are some passages that deal with pride? Well, there's plenty of passages that talk about Christ's humility. Pray those things. Um, talk about anger. Pray those things. Have them at the ready. Memorize them. Just like you're a gunslinger, right? Well, okay, swords, not guns. Swords. 
pull your sword out. That's your sword, right? We have two offensive weapons, prayer and the word. Use them. We need to use those things in our growth in Christ, in our walk with Christ, in our growth in Christ likeness. So I encourage you to do that um, this year. And um, brothers and sisters, the truth is, the truth is that if anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creation. He, she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Now this doesn't mean that all of our struggles will go away in this lifetime, but what it does mean is that in Christ, through the power of prayer, his word, and his presence at work, powerfully at work within us and through us, we can continually die to our old nature and live in light of our new nature in him and to grow in our love and the closeness of our walks and our likeness of him along the way. I pray um, that all of us, me, you, all of us, may resolve to do so. May we resolve to do so today, this year, and for the rest of our lives, all to a sure and glorious end. Out with the old, in with the new. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Are we... Thank you for life, for life in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us and, and being raised to newness of life that not only, not only would our sins be uh, forgiven, that the debt of our sin would be paid for, but also that we would die to, be able to die to our old nature and live according to our new nature in you by your power. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, Lord. Be with us and, and help us to resolve to live according to what is currently true of us and in light of that future, glorious future that is ours in you, the beauty of you and the life in you. And Lord, I, I lift up those who here who, who don't yet know you. Lord, I pray that you would please Please open our hearts and your minds to the truth of who you are. Lord, please free them. Enable them to see the beauty of who you are, the beauty of life in you, and the brokenness of this present age. Lord, please save them, and please continue to, to work in them, Lord, work in them through them in your work as well. Not only for their benefit, but for the good of your people. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.